Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Fix Network. Hello. And welcome to episode 230 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, a writer, director, and a producer, and I am delighted to welcome on this week's show the fantastic Joe Marcantonio. Now Joe sits down with me and talks all about his career leading up to his latest film, Kindred, which is out now on Sky. It stars Fiona Shaw, Jack Loudon and Tamara Lawrence. It's co-written by Jason McColgan. Uh, with Joe, and it is a delight. If you've not seen it yet, go watch it. It's available now on Sky. If you have Sky, you have no excuses. Go support this brilliant, brilliant film. It is Joe Marcantonio's debut feature film as a screenwriter and as a director, and it's a beauty. We talk about his latest short, which led him on to Kindred, called Red Light, which stars the fantastic Jesse Buckley. Um, he kind of shot it as a proof of concept. We talk about that a little bit. We talk about working with script and with actors, how he likes improvising, how he likes to workshop the script with the actors so it feels real with them, and how he gets his ideas and how he writes his screenplays. We also talk about dealing with reviews. Um, the differences between the UK and the US, how they differ, how a therapist on set might help, and why being a director is not being a dictator. We also talk about what he learnt being a runner on set and how he started out making music videos and commercials, and how any job in this industry can lead to other jobs, and how cast in a low-budget indie film can mean everything. We dive into all that on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. It is a long one. This might be a two-parter, so I'm going to let you dive straight in now. Uh, Shout-outs to our Patreon listeners. Um, if you haven't yet signed up, do. There is so much bonus material for you on there. So dive in. Come join us. Um, I'll give bigger shout-outs on Friday. If I'm doing a two-parter, ooh, hint, hint, probably am. <laughs> So anyway, I'll talk more about Wolves of War then and what else I've learned. So I've got some other inciting tidbits for you. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy my chat with Joe Mark Antonio. 
Hello, hello. Hey, Joe, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, man? You're right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I can't see you at the moment, by the way. Can you not? Oh, wait, one minute. I'm coming. There he is. Now I can see your mic and your setup. Check out my ridiculous, my ridiculous mic system. (laughs) This one's a little bit roomy, right? And this one's a bit deep and deep and meaningful. So So, you know, you can do you can do both. (laughs) I can do both. I'm in my missus's little mini office. It's a shed in the garden, basically. Yeah. Because it's the coolest place in the house right now. Yeah, it is a and it is a hot it's day. It's so hot. My dog is now lying at my feet. She'll get up and start barking at a, a pigeon in a minute. But I've got the fan on, yeah, and I'm well, worried about this fan, Joe, because this fan yeah. it's quite noisy. But I'm hoping in the edit that Toby, our new yeah, editor, can just get rid of it. Because otherwise I'll have to turn Oh, if it it's off. a constant... Yeah, if it's a constant... If it's a constant noise, you'd be all right. Should be all right, shouldn't it? Yeah, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the attic of the oh, house, done. which is equally like a little bit like an oven. But it's fine, I've got a big window next to me, and as long as one of the neighbours doesn't start playing loud music or, you know, having a fight or something, it should be fine. <laughs> yeah, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What, what part of the country are you in? I am in Mill Hill. I'm in North London. Okay. Where are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in West London. I'm in Acton. So, uh, nice. I used sunny, to live, sunny, glamorous Acton. I used to live in um, Ealing, well, Northfield. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of lived in Acton yeah, yeah, yeah. for a little while. Yeah, it's all right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's pleasant. So, uh, it's not too bad. You know, I'm, I'm a kind of uh, vaguely London born and bred. So, um, I, when we had a kid, we were living in like Islington, mm. and we had a kid, and we're like, oh, we need to get closer to family. So, this is like, as close to Richmond as I could afford to live. <laughs> Couldn't get any closer. As close to Richmond as you could afford. Is that your dream? Is it got to get as close to Richmond as you possibly can? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That's where the babysitters are, in theory. So, right. Um, and that's important so with pet. filmmaking, to have, like, teams around you. You've got to have those, oh. like, again, like, teams we talk about, filmmaking teams, but you need your family team as well, oh, right? Honestly, like, my my mother-in-law is actually quite, lives fairly close to us here, and, and that she was a real lifesaver making the movie, just because... Oh, really? um, yeah, I had, well, we shot in Ireland, and you know, when you got two fairly young kids, um, someone's got to be kind of helping out doing bedtime because um, my wife couldn't do it all the time. She works as well, yeah, part time, so of course we make it work as best we can. You know how it is, and that's the thing. I think that's the thing people don't talk about a lot is that help you need. I know filmmakers who don't have family around. And I'm like, how do you do mm. it? You know, with the family. Yeah, I'm like, how do you? you know, look after the kids. And they're like, oh, we just take them to set. I'm like, yeah, but really? <laughs> no, no, we take them to set. Yeah, my... I'm like, wow, it's hard enough taking the dogs to set, let alone That sounds child. like sounds like hell. I know, my, parents, my, my kids are not well behaved. <laughs> that sounds like a really, really bad idea, taking them to set. My wife came out to visit for like one one day. She came out on like a Thursday night and stayed for the Friday and we yeah. came, came through back for the weekend together. And that was enough. Just one day with someone on yeah. set was just like, you know, you've got other things to concentrate on, you know, of course you have. rather than yeah. Make, yeah, making sure they've had this. their lunch or whatever. Yeah, yeah totally. It was it's quite cool. funny because I'm not, I'm so used to doing kind of smaller jobs and little commercials and whatever that like, I remember that like, the night before she came, I was like sitting, for, I don't know, what, I was having a coffee or probably having lunch and checking to the second AD and being like, oh, my wife's got to work out what to do after, after shooting tonight because I've got to go get my wife. And she looks at me and just like, what do you mean? I was like, well, yeah. We're in the middle of nowhere in Ireland. I've got to go and pick her up from the airport. She's like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, well, someone's got to pick her up. She's like, yeah, like, that's my job. I can I can organise that for you. I'm like, oh, right, okay. I'm oh, not yeah, really used there's to this. people oh, here. Yeah, yeah people exactly. People actually doing that. stuff. 
Yeah, doing stuff for me. Hang on, you can go pick yeah. them so, up. Um, yeah. And it's weird because your missus probably went, oh. oh, someone coming to collect me that isn't you. How, yeah, how exotic. Did, yeah. And, and like, yeah, it had the driver came and yeah, get her. Yeah, the set, driver. Who like usually, usually ferries Fiona Shaw around. So, you mm. know, like a bit of kind of like a yeah, yeah, little celebrity rubber. Celebrity, but, um, that which is nice. I know it's behind yeah, you yeah. on the wall there. You have a load of white cards up on a cork board. I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. love for you to yeah, tell yeah, me yeah. that it was a chess game. But more importantly, I think it'd be good <laughs> to say, no, no, it's my latest film or it's my. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Yeah, is that your, is your script ideas and everything down in note form? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, uh, my writing system is, um, it, I mean, I don't really have one cemented system, but I tend to, like, try and um, get scenes up on on kind of card and then put them on the board and try and kind of, like, do a kind of, um, mm. a bit of a kind of, you know, you work out where things work and where things don't. You know, it's nice to see it visually. Whereas in, like, you know, if you're doing it in Word or in Notes or something, cutting and pasting constantly, you know, you kind of lose tracks things a little bit it's nice to have like a it physically in front of you so what i do yeah. is when i'm starting a new idea uh you know i will tend to work on character and plot and then um get it on the board when i've got some specific scenes in mind i'm like oh, okay uh so for this is like something what one is that so i need to just refer to the notes please do uh oh yes yeah, so that's the thing i've been writing with a colleague or a colleague a uh, kind of co-writer of mine Owen. a colleague um, i like that a colleague colleague, a colleague of mine we're kind of colleagues we've been we've been kind of working to, uh it's a bit of a long story we're a bit of a trio so it's me jason me there's me and there's jason there's another guy yep. called owen and the right. three of us went to film school together like 22 years ago oh, and wow. um we all live in london owen's from wales and jason is from northern ireland and i'm from london oh, and we wow. all um have slightly different jobs in kind of quote unquote the industry so like Jason, uh, Owen and I kind of do the same thing. We're like freelance directors in like commercials and kind of content and kind of whatever we can get. Mm-hmm. And Jason is more of a kind of producer in that world. Mm-hmm. He works for an ad agency. Um, but the three of us write together. So I've written this film Kindred with Jason. And then I've written a film called Uncle with Owen. Mm-hmm. And then I've written this film with Owen uh, on the board, which I can't really say the name of because I'm worried someone's going to steal the title. Oh, yeah, don't, don't <laughs> but it's like a kind so of mur- it's kind of like a murder mystery. Nice uh, kind of thing uh, set in America. So that's like an American, one of my kind of first big kind of hopefully to shoot in America set things. So yeah. um, um, I guess we can come on to that a bit later. Yeah. And definitely. then I've just finished another thing with Jace or not finished, finished the first draft of something with Jason, which is a, um, an Irish set kind of thriller. And mm-hmm. then Jason and Owen without me have written a couple of things together. So okay. like the three of us are kind of like a weird triangle of like kind of, getting things done that's amazing it's um, jason mcculgan yeah, jason uh, mcculgan yeah mcculgan is pronounced owen dawkins yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh now yeah, J- yeah. Uh, jason has listened to the podcast quite regularly and he sends me messages in the past when i was yeah, looking yeah, yeah. up he's a, he's a, you and your work i was like jason i know that name i know that name mm-hmm. yeah and he's uh he's written to me in the past what a lovely guy legend already in my world yeah you know he got he got a shout out of, he got yeah got a shout out a few episodes back which he was quite pleased with yeah. so yeah he's um and he gets another one here. Uh, what no, a guy! Good. And the fact that you both wrote this together, yeah. Kindred especially, is just wonderful. It's such a brilliant film. Let's come back to Kindred cool, because obviously we're talking yeah. you, your career, and how we get to making something like Kindred. You know, mm-hmm. it's not easy to get Kindred yeah. made, get yeah. it to be a Sky Originals, get Fiona Shaw starring in it, Jack Loudon. That's not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our listeners will want to know how mm-hmm. you did that. But let's tease them a little bit. 
<laughs> let's go back a little bit uh, and let's talk about Red Light because I watched Red Light uh, and it stars Jesse Buckley and it's a brilliant, brilliant short. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you kind of wrote this and made this to be a calling card. Talk us through mm-hmm. that process for you because you've made ads, commercials for years and years mm-hmm. and years, but yet obviously you've made shorts as well. But specifically this, you wanted to you know, use as a calling card. Talk us through this, this whole process of a calling card, because I've done it in the past and it's, you know, it it can have benefits and it can have a lot of negatives. So I'm obviously very interested in your, what your experience was like. So um, I'm going to take you kind of way back uh, into the past. Mm. And so I went to film school like 22 years ago. Which film school was it? Uh, It was, oh man, it's changed names about a thousand times. When we were there, it was called... Uh, for a couple of years, it was called the International Film School Wales, and then it was called yes. the University of Wales College Newport, and then it was called Newport well, Film School. That kills it, doesn't it? It's nowhere near yeah. as cool anymore. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> then it's called Newport Film School College. for a bit, and then I don't know what it's called right, now. Nice. It's moved to Cardiff, so right. I don't know what it's called now. Um, Newport College of Film and University Techniques. So, yeah, something <laughs> weird. And, something terrible. Yeah. Um, in fact, our yeah. campus that we uh, studied at is now the set for Sex Education on Netflix. So all those no buildings way. in Sex Education yeah. is the old old film school and kind of had like a sports science bit and stuff oh, in Killian in South Wales, in this little weird yeah. little Roman village in uh, South Wales. How amazing. Um, in Sex Education as well, they used a location that was kind of an old ruins and we used that in, in Arthur and Merlin as well. Right. Totally yeah, random. Yeah. Didn't know until someone went, hang on, this was on last night. Yeah, so they obviously get around yeah, up yeah. there, those sex education people. They get around a little bit. Um, so <laughs> anyway, I studied there because I think I got into filmmaking because yeah. my dad wrote adverts in like the 80s and 90s and still, I mean, until fairly recently did. So he did like some kind of well-known ones, like some Hamlet cigar ads. And he did. Some... They were amazing, those yeah, ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were amazing. He did, a, he did quite a famous one called Bunker which is just a kind yeah. of, uh, it's a crane shot in the end, but it starts with a lock-off of just like yeah. um, a golf course. And you just hear like someone attempting to hit a golf ball out of a sand bunker. And it's like, and then sand spills out of the top. I remember and it. I remember and sand spills out of the top. Yeah. And then you just see like, you hear the sound effect of someone lighting a cigar and you see a little puff of smoke. And then you see <laughs> yes, the guy with the golf ball in his hand throw it out onto the fairway. Um, so that was one of his... Um, These were very the famous adverts and for those that don't know in the 90s. And it starred the actor who played Rab C. Nesbitt, whose name is... Yeah, he didn't do right that now. one, to be fair, but yeah. He didn't that, do that, that one, right. One. Was it the new guy? Right. Okay. Yeah. But God, those adverts were so famous. He did a famous one with um, for Wrigley's Chewing Gum with like um, a couple on a bus... And they're like, the couple on the bus. The I was going to say the half. couple on the bus and they put it together. Yeah. 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 And, and the guy gets off and he's feeling all sorry for himself. Yeah. He gets off the bus. He's feeling sorry for himself. And then like... The, yeah. the hand comes in and like the two bits of chewing gum meet, you know. Um, yeah, they touch. The chewing, yeah. gum, chewing gum touches. They're really famous ads. Wow, your dad wrote yeah. those. So yeah, yeah, he was like, wow. uh, he was kind of a, an ad dude back in the day. And that must have inspired you massively. Yeah, I was about eight or nine and we were at Pinewood and it was just like opposite the um, 007 stage, you know, and you kind of yeah. saw that and was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And then just around the corner, they'd built um, Gotham City on the back lot. And I don't know if it was illegal, whether we were supposed to go in there, but we just wandered into, we just wandered around Gotham City and it must have been for, it might have been Batman Returns rather than the original Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. But it was one of the Tim Burton Batman um, films. 
Um, and I remember just walking around Gotham City and just kind of like having my mind blown, you know. Um, so that is that is cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd have been about yeah, it. Yeah. So I've been into it since then. And then like, but my dad doesn't know anyone in the kind of the film film industry, like commercials and stuff. Um, we knew a few directors kind of, he was friends with a guy called Paul Wayland growing up. He's had made a couple of films and like, um, but no one yeah. really, I later got to meet Alan Parker through my dad. Mm, Cause I was doing a documentary nice. about Volkswagen ads and they'd worked together when, in my dad's kind of the early part of his career. And that was kind of a bit of a dream come true for me. Cause, um, Alan Parker was like a bit of a kind of legend to me. He's like a bit of big inspiration. Was, so, was um, it films films like that that made you want to get into filmmaking? Was it Angel Heart? Was it those kind of Alan Parker movies that inspired you? Yeah, I think um, I'm a. I mean, I think like most kind of people in the industry, you've kind of got to have a bit of a mix of stuff. I think mm-hmm. these days, you know, people tend to kind of yeah. fall into one kind of culty camp where they're into like one thing, like kind of you're really into Marvel movies and that's your thing. Or, you know, you're really into, I don't know, sci-fi films and that's your thing. Whereas like, I think, um, more so back in the day. And I think now if, you know, you you can kind of get your head around it. Um, you gotta be into a little bit of everything really, you know? So I watched a lot of, you know, obviously like, I don't know, fairly mainstream films. And then also like a lot of kind of, I don't know, French films and Scandinavian films and kind of whatever you could pick up. You know, I think, Again, back in the day, you know, going to Blockbuster Video and just seeing what was in, let alone what was on the shelf, you had to try and. Well, they had. They had. Often they were sold (laughs) out, weren't they? That was the thing. And then you'd have to argue with your sister over Um, what film it was. Um, Yeah. Although I was forever scouting the returns desk, seeing if what, seeing what had just uh, come back, you know, uh, hoping that something. Something decent hadn't been rewound yet. <laughs> you could, could nab, kind of like yeah, before it went. Go off with. So how did you move from there? Sort of like obviously it was a young age, but how did you know? Because when we're that yeah. young, it's really hard to see it as a career. You kind of, you know, mm-hmm. it's just something someone else does. You know, how do you even step into that world? What did you do to go? I want to do this as a job. What made you go to film school? Was it like I, I, I just want to do it? So, yeah, I think my parents were always supportive and I think that um I I never did like A levels even. I went to after school, I didn't do sixth form. I just went to college and did a BTEC in media mm-hmm. because I was just kind of knew that I wanted to get into yeah. that industry, you know. And then after I finished that, I went to film school and then come out of film school at 22 yeah. or whatever I was and I was like, "Right, I'm a director now." <laughs> and then out. you kind of like <laughs> You Give me a at, job, someone. Yeah, you walk around Soho, kind of expecting to kind of like um, someone to, to, yes, want to give you a suitcase you. full of money, <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, oh no, wait, this is a fucking disaster. That's not going to happen. No, not so, this. Um, it's the CD nightclubs, and that's a different suitcase. Yeah, it's a different kind of suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I um, got a runner's job, and again, I got quite lucky in in one way is that I got a runner's job at uh, a big commercials company called RSA, which is oh, Ridley yeah. Scott's Ridley company. Scott's huge company, yeah. Um, so um, that was a really good kind of learning experience, although I probably am still filled with quite a lot of trauma, <laughs> trauma from, from it. Because, you know, it's hard. And I think these days people probably care about um, employees' mental health and general, mm. like, kind of the kind of jobs you're, you're made to do in those kind of subservient positions. But um, back in kind of the... Uh, I'd been running a bit since like the late nineties and, um, but that bit, I was guess from about 2002 or so 
it was pretty brutal. You know, you'd be literally sweeping up rat shit on, oh, wow. on abandoned warehouses for, for music videos, and then you'd be painting graffiti off walls, and then you'd be kind of, I don't know what, like pretty grim, pretty mm. grim stuff. No, and it then, doesn't feel like a filmmaker. You feel like a cleaner. Yeah. No, certainly not. And also, you're not often being treated very nicely by people. You know, mm. back then, I think there was a lot more kind of ego going around and a lot of kind of the the directors you'd 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 come up with you know were not particularly pleasant a lot of the time Mm -hmm. having said that in um, my last year at film school i wrote a um a little kind of essay about a music video director called chris cunningham who had done some uh like uh square pusher videos and like uh, apex twin videos and stuff and madonna and bjork and stuff and then um you know, six months later, I'm kind of on set with him, you know, and having a chat to him. And, and he's a, he like Led Zeppelin, and I like Led Zeppelin. And you kind of have a conversation about your favorite Led Zeppelin album and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's, um, that's pretty wild, you know, to go from kind of writing about this guy and then kind of suddenly mm. being on set with him. And like, I did a, a, one of my kind of first credits on IMDb is, um, I was a runner on a video with him for, um, Rubber Johnny. Yeah, Rubber which Johnny. Which is an Aphex, yeah. Aphex twin thing. Mm. Um, which was a pretty mad experience of him being completely naked with a giant prosthetic penis and kind of elephant man makeup yes. being pushed up and down at council estate in Camden <laughs> doing a night shoot. And then in the basement at the office, like, you know, it was a pretty weird and wild experience. Weird, fun wild. One, you know. Yeah. I think talk- um, you're talking about that sort of experience of, of someone you'd, you'd written about and then, you know, getting to work with them. It's similar type of thing with me i was at drama uh, studio in ealing hence why i lived there and uh i remember every sort of day we'd look over across the ealing studios and think why don't we collaborate why can't we work there and we'd always go to the pub next door every night and type mm. thing and suddenly i get a job doing i want candy and i'm filming at ealing studios opposite the yeah. drama school and we filmed in that pub so there i am <laughs> like reliving my uh, you know uh acting school dream of actually this is a oh my gosh this is a thing and that moment of magic of wow really yeah but i think you really have to um you really have to enjoy those moments because Mm. you know i i'm a re i'm really bad at always and my wife and my therapist (laughs) will probably like completely complain about this with me but i am always looking for something in the future you know and not always being happy with where i am and i think to succeed in the industry you do need a little bit of that drive to kind of like Mm. get you through the kind of the mud to the mire to the to the next thing i agree but you do have to kind of like smell the roses once in a while and think oh man this is actually pretty cool yeah. you know you need like, a lot um, of drive it, and only occasionally yeah. can you look it round it's really hard to look around sometimes and go oh i'm doing all right or oh i've got a film on sky or oh, because you, you're just in it you're just dealing with the press or you're dealing with the uh you know um interviews or you de- you're just suddenly going oh my god oh my god oh my, what's my next film how do i survive this and interestingly you mentioned about your wife being a therapist my wife is actually a therapist so uh, <laughs> i mm. get full on you know the, my, that's the thing my i don't get me wrong i have a therapist but my wife yeah, is yeah, also th- a therapist therap- oh you so have like a, well. i get like i get same. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, for the NHS. Nice. So um, I get double the I Get double. Get the help, double. Me you know too. I mean? it, it's amazing. <laughs> I actually think it's really important filmmakers should. And we were talking about this earlier with uh, my wife's a psychodynamic psychotherapist. Someone got in contact with me that she was working with who said, why don't we have counsellors on set? 
because this mm. would be a really good thing for filmmakers to have on set. And I saw, I was like, well, like, yeah, mm. but we haven't got time. I went, we haven't got time. We're directors, we're producers, mm. we haven't got time. And then I thought, actually, that would be a really good thing. Be a really yeah. good thing, especially for actors if they're going through a traumatic scene, you know, and they're, you know, like in your film, The Kindred, you know, and they're having the baby and what, all this sort of stuff that's going on. Wouldn't that be really interesting for that actor or actress to yeah. have a therapist on set to talk about and it I, with? I think that, um, you know, it worked on the, uh, I never really understood it when I was a kid. I used to watch, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Of course, you did. And they had a, they had a counselor, you know, on the ship. And I was just like, what do you mean she works for the council? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Who is who's that lady? And um, uh, so, yeah. And the yeah. funny thing is my wife actually looks a bit like her, that actor, whoever the no actress way. was that played Diana Troy in The Next Generation, and she's a counsellor. Is that one so of the reasons you deeps, married her? It must have been. There's some weird subconscious shit Yeah, exactly. With, yeah, it must be. It must be. This is the first time I've met another <laughs> filmmaker whose missus is a, uh, a therapist. Is a therapist. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, um, the, I mean, I'm going. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, please. But one of the like, one of the thematic things about Kindred is that after my second child was born, Cara, my daughter, mm. um, it was a uh, she was born while I was I just shot Red Light and I hadn't I was just in the middle of cutting it maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll get to how Red Light came about in a minute, but basically, I'd, I'd shot this short film. And I didn't really want to edit it myself. I was trying to find an editor who I kind of knew. And there's a couple of people I knew in the industry, but no one would had availability and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should do it myself. Um, and my daughter was born in the November. And I finished the film in the end of like, the January or something. Um, and it just brought up loads of stuff for me, you know, mentally, becoming a dad for the second time, much more almost than it did the first time. And that's when I first started going to therapy Um and that was all going on while I was writing Kindred. Mm. And Jason, my co-writer, had uh, premature twins who were born like super, super early, like oh. 20-something weeks, 27 weeks Friday. or something, like like super early. Mm. And they were in hospital for about a month in kind of, you know, in the, Intensive in the care. Kind of incubator yeah. things. Mm. Yeah. So um, he had loads of spare time. <laughs> it sounds really, really harsh. Really but he had loads of spare time in his hands. <laughs> and that was the period we got the first draft done from our kind of outline. Wow. We always write up notes, like my, like my board behind, you know, we'll, we'll kind of write up scenes and, and get about 40 scenes or so in a, in a kind of three-act structure mm-hmm. in an outline document. And then um, that document can be anything from seven pages to kind of 40 pages. And then it's the really laborious bit which is translating that outline document into an actual script. Mm. And um, he got, we, we got that done because his kids were in, in hospital, basically. That's so that's kind of a lot of the themes in the film about, like, you know, um, uh, the main character, Charlotte, not feeling very confident as a parent and also Fiona Shaw as, the, as Margaret, the mother-in-law, being um, having a lot of regret about her behavior as a parent and the, the guilt she feels and this and the other. That's kind of directly related to how I was feeling, particularly at the time. And um, one of the funny things about the film coming out is that, you know, you don't write a little kind of um, uh, leaflet that goes out with the film when people see it. You know, people don't see the film with the caveats and the thinking no. behind it. it no. it's, it's watched in a vacuum. And it's a slightly odd thing because I think in a funny way, if um, we had uh, had an opportunity or, you know, if there was like a bit more of a kind of like watch, read these notes before you watch the film, I think it would be a slightly different reading for a lot of people. You know, I think the fact it's on Sky is amazing. 
Mm-hmm. But it does mean that when it's given a critical response, people do think of it, oh, it's just like a mainstream kind of like thriller. You know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. And the, and particularly in the UK, bizarrely, more than the States, um, you, we've really, I've really noticed that kind of the um, a lot of the critical response from has been predominantly from white male heterosexual guys mm-hmm. and they no one has mentioned the idea of um parental anxiety and no one has mentioned the idea that you know there's a lot of uh, thematic stuff going on in relate in relation to kind of children and, and the fact that kind of um there is a baby on the way and everyone involved in that baby's life is kind of freaking out about it in a slightly different way yeah whereas in america we had a, a, a much bigger spectrum of the kind of people that would review the film and a bigger spectrum of the kind of like um um kind of demographic you know a lot more women a lot more people of color a lot more kind of um non non heterosexual people would would review the film and a lot of those kind of people that aren't kind of um heteronormal mm-hmm. f- took a lot of different things from the film and if anything kind of enjoyed it more it's, it seemed in a funny kind of way mm. um so it's just a strange thing you know you, you when you make a film i think i've always been quite careful to um work thematically and to inject a lot of my my personal experience and my thought process into my films you know when i write a script i will also write a big lookbook to go with it mm-hmm. explaining explaining my kind of thematic thinking mm. as well as kind of my visual approach and all that stuff the you know the themes and the meanings behind things are quite a big part of it for me and that document is as much to do with me ironing out my own thought processes as much as it is to tell my DOP that, you know, I freaked out a bit <laughs> when well, I had my daughter. You, well, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think that's really important. It's kind of like your own little mini Bible and you don't have to oh. show anyone else. You know, sometimes I won't show the costume department or won't show the makeup department or my first thoughts on the film when I'm pitching for the job or we're trying to get money from so-and-so. Because you might have changed it by then. You've then sit and mm. thought through with the, di- uh, with the DOP or the producers or the screenwriter, mm. or if it's you, all of them. And your mind has changed a little bit. And you want other mm. people's fresh take on it, but you've still got yeah. yours in the back of your mind mm. to reference if you need. You don't mm. have to show everyone. I think mm. people get frightened that doing it, you have to show. Yeah, but I'm a big believer in, you know... When it comes to key crew, you know, you hire them for a reason and you don't want yeah. to dictate to them the mm-hmm. way that they approach it. And I, I tend to, I'm quite an emotionally honest guy, probably because I've been through therapy, but <laughs> I'm quite an emotionally honest guy. And I, and I will have a conversation with people and I'll be like, you know, my thought process is, do you want to hear them? What do you think? You know, I won't go and see them after they've read the script and be like, this is what I want the wardrobe to look like. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am meeting that person. So like Natalie Humphreys, who did the... um wardrobe on the film and did an absolutely incredible job we had a we had a chat you know i'd I'd have a little like what did you think when you read the script and she thinks you know oh you know i I could imagine them wearing x y and z and i'm like yeah i totally agree with you um but what about you know um i had this thought about them the wardrobe color palette matching the location Mm -hmm. so and she was really up for that so we went to the location and took some photos of the different rooms so that then we could make a color palette and then so it means that the characters that live in the house they wear the same colors as the rooms they're in most mm-hmm. of the time yeah. and charlotte who goes into the house if she's feeling rebellious will wear a color that clashes or if she's feeling under their spell a bit she'll be wearing something that also matches the house you know so that 
comes about through collaboration, not through being a dictator. You know, I think a lot of people think that being a director is going marching on set and telling everyone the way it is. Yeah. Whereas it isn't that at all. It's, you know, it's picking the right people to help you make your film. Totally agree with that. Um, I think that's great. And what I really liked about Kindred was your colour palette and your tone as well as I, I really, really enjoyed the film. But I really mm-hmm. could see you'd planned it out. I could really mm-hmm. see that you'd thought it through, you know, with the motifs in there as well, with the crows mm-hmm. and the... Well, I, I think there were magpies or crows. I was unsure, actually, halfway mm-hmm. through. Uh, uh-huh. Might have been a mix. Um, and the, yeah. the horses and the, these dark, ominous tones that you put through the movie mm-hmm. of her mind. Is mm-hmm. she going insane? Is she not? And mm-hmm. I, I love that. I thought it was just brilliantly thought out as a film. Mm-hmm. And we can get lost sometimes in films. We can, we can forget what our aim was at the beginning when we set out from mm-hmm. when we did our first color palette and when we did our first thought process, we got images from the internet. And I think you really stuck because I've seen your mood board and your lookbook. Um, mm-hmm. and I think you mm-hmm. totally stuck to what you wanted and it comes across. Mm-hmm. And that's why the film shines because of that. Mm-hmm. Was that always something you wanted? To, like you say, you mentioned there about your colour palette and your tone, but also mm-hmm. the motifs. Was that something that you said, this is what I want from a very yeah. early stage? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it comes back to kind of, I'm going to loop this back professionally. I'm going to loop this back into my previous thing I was talking love about. This. Kind of love this. Love this. <laughs> I think a lot of this comes from what you learn as a runner watching other directors, particularly on commercial set. Mm. Because when you're on a commercial set, you are there because, let's think of a good example. You are there because BP have paid for you to be there mm-hmm. and to direct this commercial for them. Yeah. I never did it. I never directed an ad kind of that big. But right. I remember working for this guy who was a director at RSA. And um, he was doing this BP commercial. And um, you are basically there. You're working for the client and you're working for the ad agency. And you can kick up a stink and be like, that isn't the way the shot should be. But at the end of the day, they're paying for it all. Mm-hmm. It's their baby. Yep. And they give you a piece of paper with a storyboard on it. And they're like, there you go. Yep. Shoot that. Shoot that. And you have want. to work out the ego involved in that. And you're like, I, as an artist, think that this is not the best approach. Or you're the kind of guy who's just like, fine, give me the piece of paper. I'll do that for you. Yep. And, you know, and you watch these the different ways different people react in that situation. And the thing that always came to me was planning you know the ads and music videos and everything that came out the best were the things that they had worked out beforehand and all those creative issues about how much the camera's going to move or what kind of trousers they're going to wear or whatever had been they someone had worked that out before you get to set so you're not stood around for two hours while people have a hissy fit at each yeah. other about, about this stuff, you know? Yeah, because people need to be uh, prove that their their paycheck is worth something by saying, I think yeah. these trousers should be chino brown rather than chino yeah. green. <laughs> Whereas it know, doesn't really make doesn't a difference make most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So um, having watched all that, I think um, I, um, I'm going to kind of like refer back to myself in an egotistical way about my career development. So basically, um, having watched all that, I then was then like, I'm going to be a director now after being a runner for a couple of years and then started working in music videos, like super low budget. And some friends of mine got signed their band called Larrick and love. And I did a bunch of videos for them on like super eight for like 200 quid. And then they got, I got like a 15 grand budget, which is probably the most expensive video I ever did actually. Nice. Yeah. And then I also did some videos for a guy called Jamie T 
before he got signed or just when he was getting signed and then a couple of other people and I never broke through I was always like kind of waiting for the phone to ring for like the a big production company to be like oh come and do a you know come a music yeah. video for Coldplay or whatever but um yeah never yes. happened you right. know so you just gotta keep hustling so I started doing kind of like corporate commercials and bits and pieces and kind of whatever I can get and I kind of work my way up in that world in a funny way and I do a bunch of stuff for like Topshop like online films for Topshop and I do like some stuff for Lloyds Bank and I do some stuff for whatever I can get mm-hmm. and in my head I'm still a filmmaker but I also know that like I'm not really a filmmaker <laughs> I'm just doing kind of like commercial crap just to kind of pay the bills and then um I got to the point after about less than 10 years probably about to say 10 years eight, ten, eight or 10 years of doing this I'm just like right I need to sort out my shit and get a film off the ground somehow but I don't know anyone in the industry but I know what I'm doing I've watched these people on set and I know how to do this properly and I know mm. I'm really good but no one can see the value of me and mm. how am I going to make this work and you know no one's going to walk up to me in the street with a suitcase full of money there and be go. like there's your there's your five million quid you know? uh-huh. so how do you do that and I haven't got any money <laughs> so I um started doing short films and I did a short film called uh, Ribbon about like a young couple that um um in order to prove that they love each other and, and receive their her inheritance they have to um live with their hands tied together for like a week oh, wow um, nice and that was like a little idea and that got into rain dance and you know it did okay for itself for like mm-hmm. 200 quid or whatever sure and then i did one called wake which was like a little kind of horrory thing again like 300 quid i spent on that and then i did one called dirt which actually got a bit of money off Nokia because they just released the N9 mobile phone. Right. And they were like, you could, I kind of semi won a competition. To, I won like 1500 quid to make a short film on this mobile phone. And Decent. the problem with that is that the, um, ah. the mobile phone was really shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it basically didn't look good at all. And, um, and all, but they're all learning experiences. Of course. And, yeah. Um, I think in one way, the best thing I learned in that process was, how kind of not to do it because mm. i go into the first one thing i know i'm a director i know what i'm doing yeah. and then you pretty soon work out you're like oh right no i'm just making like slightly generic decisions in a slightly generic way and and kind of making work that isn't particularly special because it doesn't mean anything to me because i i think it's the way it should be done so i had a bit of a crisis kind of of confidence about like how am i supposed to do this really mm. and my best way to react to that was like right what do I want to do and what can I do affordably that I find interesting? And I basically turned to documentaries. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. And a friend of mine, um, oh, yeah, it was about this time 
I met the closest thing to a mentor I've ever had in the industry, who was a guy called Simon Abood. Simon who Abood. Who made a couple of films. Including he made a film called Comes a Bright Day. Yeah, Comes yeah. a Bright Day. Yeah. And I did the, did the EPKs on Comes a Bright Day. Nice, okay. Um, and that's how I met him, because... I was doing this kind of documentary behind the scenes. I've done so many behind the scenes films mm-hmm. on like commercials in my life. It's, right. Every time it slightly destroyed part of my soul, <laughs> but you know, you do it for the money. And I got this EPK gig and I didn't want to do it. And my wife was like, you should do it. Cause you might meet someone in the film industry. And lo and behold, I met mm-hmm. Simon Abood who directed and wrote that film. There you go. Therapy and, um, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he kind of took me under his wing and like, we've shot all kinds of stuff together. You know, we've been to, I don't know, America shooting stuff for pharmaceutical companies. We've been kind of, I've shot a couple of Paul McCartney gigs as a DOP wow. for him. And so I shot, a, I DOP'd a bunch of stuff for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always been really good at like reading my scripts and giving me feedback. And he used to work at an ad agency with a guy called David Gwither, AKA Desperate Custom, who was a painter, an yeah. artist. And so, and Dave, David is into motorcycles and he was, did a thing called flat track. He still does a thing called flat track motorcycle yep. racing. So I went with him one weekend to like Kings Lynn and filmed him doing flat track. And I made a little short film about it and I got a Vimeo staff pick. Amazing. And I was like, okay, that's, that was good. I enjoyed that. And I think it's good. And I think that piece of work reflects the way I want to make things and the way that I see the world. So then I went and made a kind of profile film about David called things that can kill you. Um, and that one of him a staff pick. And mm. I was like, right, okay. I'm onto something. Now I can, yeah. s- I kind of feel like I'm suddenly getting my voice. Like before with the kind of really cheap short films, I really felt like I was kind of imitating people. And now all of a sudden I feel like I'm kind of speaking in my own voice, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And then I did one, my dad had written a book in the eighties and nineties, um, uh, called remember those great Volkswagen ads, which is about VW ads in like the seventies and New York, sixties yeah. and seventies in New York. Yeah. Um, and the guy he uh, had written the book with had died not long ago, a guy called uh, David Abbott. Um, and I thought, well, that's an interesting thing, that campaign. And they had some archive that had been filmed with the people back in the day who'd written the ads. So I made a little kind of 12-minute, maybe it's more than that, 15-minute short film about that ad campaign. Mm-hmm. Then that got a Vimeo staff pick. And I'm like, right, okay, I've got three staff picks. I've done these documentaries. I'm feeling good. I feel kind of like lean and muscular and like I'm mm-hmm. ready to get my teeth into something. Yep. I'm going to write a short film and I'm going to make the damn thing. So I good. write this short film called Red Light. Actually, what had happened was I was walking around Soho, as you do. As you do. And that looking comic for shop. That box looking of for five that, million. Yeah, the box of money. Yeah. <laughs> and at the bottom of Berwick Street, you know, they've opened that comic shop on the corner. The uh, name of which I can't remember. So the bottom of Berwick Street Market. Um, yeah. Before you okay. go through the weird sex mean. alley. Yes, um, yes. Um, yeah. Gosh? Is it called Gosh? It's called Gosh. Called gosh I think you're right. It might be called Gosh. Yeah. Um, and I went in there just looking around. I, I read graphic novels quite a lot. Um, and um, I found this kind of weird self-published book of like um, short stories from this guy whose name escapes me, who was most famous for um, doing a kind of punk girl punk kind of motorcycle gang thing in the 80s okay and um and i was flicking through it and they had this little short story in it which wasn't called red light it was called something else and that the key part of the plot which is about this guy who goes to see a prostitute to convince her to leave with him was from that so i read the story and i was like mate that's, that's kind of inspired me to write this thing so i wrote the script and i emailed the guy out of the blue and i'm like i um i just like you kind of inspired me to write this this short um i don't know if i legally have to get an option off you but like it would be really good if i could kind of like 
get your blessing. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, yeah, man, amazing. That sounds great. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, then I had this short film script and didn't have much money and no real way of making it. And the one thing I had learned up to this point is that cast in low budget stuff, cast means a lot because if you've got your mate Dave from down the pub in the film, no one really wants to watch it. No, it's always going to yeah. be slightly cheap, you know? And if you can get someone decent yep. or someone famous in your film, yep. people are more likely to watch it, you know? And festivals are more likely to pick it up. It's just fact, in yeah. case they turn up. Yeah, it's fact. Yeah. Yes. So um, I was a bit stuck and I had this short film Red Light ready to go and I didn't really know what to do with myself. And then we were having a baby, my, my wife and I were having our first kid. And this is actually quite a good story. Uh, we're having mm. our first kid and we went to a... Um, I just shot a Paul McCartney thing that day as a DP for Simon Avood. Yep. And the following, no, the following day we go to this in Islington is a week. Cause it's a weird borough with like some really super rich people and also some people, some really super poor people. Yep. The council put on like a free antenatal baby class. Right. Okay. Um, so you can pay for the NCT one, which we did as well, but you can also go to this freebie one and we're like, oh, you know, whatever we'll go along. It's free. So I go along to this freebie antenatal class and it is in this weird kind of like social room in a council estate on Caledonian road. And it is full of like pregnant teenagers smoking fags and like really strange, slightly shady people. And, um, there's this kind of other kind of like posh couple there who scarper immediately when they see the kind of the vibe. Uh, But there's this other couple who look a bit like my wife and I who are kind of, kind of getting involved and chatting away. Yeah. And it gets near lunchtime and I'd start chatting to them. And I'm, well, you know, what are you guys doing for lunch? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, that's my friend recommended i texted my buddy Gemma, who lived around the corner and i was like where's good to eat she's like you're in the wrong place <laughs> but there's a pizza place that's kind of vaguely edible so i was like oh my friend recommended this pizza place we'll go so we go to the pizza place and we get chatting to this couple and mm-hmm. i'm like oh so what do you guys do and he goes i'm a film producer <laughs> and i'm like of all the places really? in all the world <laughs> yeah and i'm like really he's like yeah i'm like that's funny. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a director. He's like, oh, no way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bet he thought, oh, fucking hell, here we go. Okay, another one. Really? <laughs> you can't Are even... you, though? Yeah. <laughs> you wish you'd said it first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't even go to a prenatal baby class without some guy saying he's a director. <laughs> um, but I just, because I think because I'd just done this Paul McCartney thing, I, I sounded kind of more impressive than I was, you know? Because yeah. mm. um, I, you know, it wasn't particularly any great shakes what I'd done on this gig. Anyway, so... um we got chatting and, and we were having our kids at the same time. And lo and behold, that producer, Dominic Norris, produced Red Light and Kindred. And That's I met him amazing. at a prenatal baby class. That's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Because I didn't know anyone in the industry. Do you know what I mean? I, I have yeah. no contacts. I haven't got a cousin who works at Universal. Sure. I haven't got a mate who's an agent or any of that stuff. No. I still don't have an agent in the UK. No, like, no. So, um... It- fascinating that it's just luck pure you know pure luck isn't it funny how sometimes just those little conversations just those little little things where you never expect it can actually open the door for you but as everyone says you you make your own luck by being friendly and by being friendly and approachable and and asking people questions and if i'd met him and been an asshole we would never have made a film together of course not and he uh, he produced modern life is rubbish yeah yeah, yeah. daniel jerome gill Mm. uh, came on the podcast to talk about which i love that film it's so cool and the obscure life of the grand duke of corsica which is matt hookings is uh one of his latest films which should be out very soon yeah soon yeah I guess Tim Spall um, starring in that but yeah. um yeah so um yeah so anyway so I met Dom and then yeah 
he was just making Modern Life is Rubbish. And I had, he's like, let's do this, a short film together then. I was like, oh, well, I've got this red light. He was really into it. But then I had to wait for him to finish that. And it took ages and I had a baby. And it was a bit like, oh, God, is this ever going to happen? Yeah, but yeah. we finished. What happened was we were trying to cast Red Light. And I just watched. There was a TV show on. Oh, Remember Me, I think it was called. And it had Jodie Comer in it. Yeah, Remember and, um, Me. Yeah, it was very good. And she was like a school coach. She was young at the time. Yeah. And I thought, oh, man, she'd be really good. And then it took so long. By the time the film, by the time we were kind of actually physically casting for the film, she was kind of like off doing something much more impressive and big of and course. stuff. And you're like, oh god! And casting such an arduous process. But is. but through Dom, I met um, uh, a lady called Alice Searby, who's still my kind of casting director on everything mm-hmm. I do at the moment. Um, and she um, helped us out basically. And what had happened was, um, we got Martin McCann. And we couldn't get a girl who was right for us for Red Light for ages. And we had kind of the shoot date kind of organised and circled in the diary. And it was yeah. getting kind of like three months away. You're like, ah, I've got three months. And then all of a sudden there's two months where you're like, oh, no, mm-hmm. wait, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then all of a sudden you've got like six weeks and you're like, oh, God, we've got to find someone who's good yeah. enough to do the part. And then through Jack Loudon, who Dom knew, because Dom had cast Jack Loudon in Modern Life is Rubbish... And he'd right. signed on to do it. And then he got offered the Morrissey gig in England is Mine and yep. had to had to pull out. Right. And he basically owed Dom one a little bit. Um, so we sent him the script and was like, you know, everyone, like who yeah. would be good for this that you know? And he's like, oh, Jesse Buckley. And I'm like, Jesse uh, Buckley, to be fair, Beast hadn't been out yet. So she kind of, her star hadn't quite, re- hadn't risen to where it is now. Certainly. No, but she'd still done some massive telly. Yeah. Everyone, everyone knew who she, she was. was. Yeah. And she, everyone knew she was going to be big. Yeah. And she was, seemed unachievable to me. And I was like, Jesse Buckley's not going to do this. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I, I'll send it to her, see what she says. Then lo and behold, Jesse Buckley's like, yeah, what, do you want to meet for a coffee? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, you know, you meet Jesse Buckley for a coffee and, you know, you walk into those meetings and you're thinking, oh, Jesus, what's going to happen with this conversation? Yeah. This yeah. This could go any direction. I take it you were prepared. Um, you'd gone in and you'd thought about what yeah. you were going to say. Like, it was, as, you know, as ever, you know, I'd, on your d- hand. I'd written the <laughs> scripts. I'd written the lookbook. Yeah. You know, I'd got all that stuff organized. The visual reference was ready. And so you go to the meeting yeah. and nine times out of 10, if people have read the script and looked at the lookbook, they know what you're about mm-hmm. and they just want to find out if you're an idiot or not, That's or an asshole it. or not. Yeah. You know, it yeah. comes down to a kind of personality thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, Great. um, you know, Jesse and I got on kind of like a house of fire. She's great, man. She's so cool yeah. and really talented. And we were so lucky to get her. And then, but Martin McCann as well. I mean, he's amazing. And mm-hmm. he should be a much bigger deal than he is. And he's only, for me, he's only one role away from really kind of like Blowing becoming up. a kind of yeah. stand-up guy. He'd yeah, done The yeah. Survivalist at that point. That's what I'd seen him in. Mm-hmm. And it kind of blown me away. Um, but he's like super good and super intense and perfect for that film. Yeah. So I got really lucky, basically, and got those two. The funny enough, every everyone in the film is Irish. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So therefore, even, you were like well, even Ben Peel, who's like yeah. the, kind of the bad guy, he's Irish as well. <laughs> so, did, how but, was that experience shooting that? You know, now looking back, now you can with you know, different glasses on. Mm. How was that experience for you? Obviously, it was a big deal at the time because like, yeah. we, we talked about at the beginning, potentially this is a calling card for you. Yeah. You've got big names in it now. This yeah. will get festival recognition. Yeah. Was there a pressure on you to do, you know, did you feel that pressure or were you just enjoying it? I guess you kind of feel the pressure to a certain extent. But at the same time, I would feel like if I've done my homework, mm. I've got enough, you know, as a creative, you know, you basically have, 
uh, a dual kind of schizophrenic ego where on one hand you think yeah. I'm the greatest thing that ever lived <laughs> and at the same time you're like oh my god I, I'm gonna I get suck. found out <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? I'm gonna get found out one of these days and so like you just got to try and get as close to the to the kind of uh, more egotistical side of that as you can yeah. when you're going into those situations and not be an asshole about it but just be confident and like if you're prepared and someone asks you a question you know if someone says you know where do you want the camera to go you're like over there like because i've already thought this out you know what i mean mm -hmm. and but mm -hmm. also with those guys it was more about performance you know and talking to them it's a two house so for those who haven't seen it you should check check it out on my um my website on markantonio.tv uh it's on there it's It'll on, be on the show well. notes link will be in the show notes um and it's basically two-hander about this guy who goes to see a prostitute and tries to convince her to leave her life of kind of you know uh sex sex capades behind mm -hmm. and to run off with him because he's deeply in love with her and it's got a bit of a kind of you know a bit of a twist at the end and um you know a lot of that was just in in the script i think and the actors were into it and we um I got the guy who used to, when I was a DP, he was my focus puller. And when I was a director, he used to kind of be, be my DP. I called Drew huh. Lawrence. He shot it for me. Nice. So it was kind of like, I was very involved in the kind of the camera in, in that. That felt quite important to me at the time. We got a deal with Panavision through a commercials link to get uh, some decent lenses, some Panavision, some anamorphics. Mm -hmm. We got a camera package off them. We got uh, the only lights we used in the whole short film were two soft boxes from Ikea and a bare red light bulb in the windowsill no way so the whole wow. thing is shot with practicals nice and um and yeah we just kind of like made it as cheap as we could i'd just done a couple of jobs for honda motorcycles despite the fact i've never sat on a motorbike in my life <laughs> i shot i dp'd a couple of gigs for them nice uh that were kind of decent money jobs and i immediately spent all the money on on that short film so that short film probably cost me five grand or something which in the grand scheme of things is, is was a was a worthwhile investment totally but it's not but it's not small change when no you it's got not a lot of money oh, it's really and equally not. um you know i think um in hindsight it makes a lot of sense but there were a few moments at the time and you're just like oh god <laughs> is this a good idea or it's, not it's frightening putting yeah. your own money into stuff how did yeah. you find working with the actors then because like i say the the, the big actors it sounds like you just got on with it but how how do you direct them this loops back like actually it? this might be an interesting thing is that i was already really paranoid about directing actors because i had never really had much experience with it you know mm, yeah um that's what i mean I, I i grew up as a teenager with a guy called jake curran who's an actor who yes. is in bits and pieces yeah. he's like a kind of red-headed kind of like um uh, he's never the leading man, but he's, he's in, been in he's some in, of your shorts, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've known him for a long time. Yeah. So I kind of quiz him about it and what he wants a director to do and kind of how that works. But I was still paranoid. I ended up actually doing like a short course at the NFTS, mm, like a kind okay. of a week long, I guess it was a week long, like um, course on directing actors, which actually ended up being, if anything, um, uh, kind of confidence boost because I'm like, oh right, there isn't a secret key to unlock this box. It is mm. just all about approach and, you know, empathy. I think is the biggest part of it for me. Mm. And so, um, doing the course, you're supposed to at some point in that course, I remember you're supposed to like take the script and like break it down and then like get these actors to kind of like do it two or three different ways and then to kind of work out which way you prefer and. 
I didn't do that at all. I took the script and broke it down and then just sat the actors down. It was like, look, I'm not interested in directing you guys. I want to talk to you about what you expect a director to do and what a good director does with you guys. And, <laughs> you know... Which is great what, for you. They must yeah. be like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but th- they were like, oh, you know what? Actually, you know, the thing that drives me mad is people, you know, telling me the way I should pronounce my lines or whatever uh, it is. You know, you yeah. kind of like get into that with them. Yes. And then I found that part of it the most interesting, you know. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you read books. There's like, there's like a book you can get in Waterstones about directing actors. I read that. And then yeah. there's a really good filmmaking book by Sydney Lumet. Is it called On Film? It is called, called On Film. Yes, it yeah. is. I think it's which on is film. like yes, it is. Yes. Which is like the best filmmaking book yeah. I've ever read. You know. So, um, so yeah, I think I got to that point, and then by the time I'd made Red Light, I was feeling kind of good about things, and I just kind of I'm quite an open and kind of approachable guy, and I think also, like I said, I'm quite emotionally honest, and kind of if I'm a bit nervous, I'll be like, look. Mm. I'm not an egotistic egotist in this thing. Like, uh, this is what I was thinking. How do you guys feel about it? You know, and you, and you work it through with them. You know, it's the same as hiring crew members. It's a collaboration. And mm. if you hire actors that good, I mean, you just point a camera at them, really. You know, that's 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 the gig. That's it. And yeah, I remember, like, sure. Jake saying to me years ago, like, one of the things he really likes about me as a director is that I'm not bossing him around all the time because <laughs> some people do, you know. And I think that, um, I think Spielberg's quite famous for that, not bossing people around. Mm. they'll be like oh do we got any direction and he's just like well no like, i hired you to do a job like just do it don't worry about it you know that's that's yeah. what it's all about well i think that's what with experienced actors they totally know that but i think mm. new actors and i mean that in yeah. the, you know people who are maybe the first time on set or first few times on set they need to be directed or mm. they want some kind of arm around their shoulder you know metaphorically to say you're doing well mm. because they've come maybe from a theater background or drama yeah. school where they haven't you know, it, everything's been about the minute detail of that mm. performance. So I think it really does. It, it depends who the actor is. If they're, you mm. know, like Fiona Shaw, well, you mm. don't necessarily need to go, mm. brilliant, Fiona, you smashed it. <laughs> the interesting thing about Fiona is actually, because yeah. um, Kindred had a slight, I'd kind of progressed my technique a bit by then. I'll get yeah. to that in a minute. So with yeah. Red Light, basically, um, it was um, the big thing I was really working on was blocking and. Uh-huh. Um, getting the theme because there's two people in a room you know other than them just sit there talking to each other how do you make that interesting and so I had this idea that we have like the most of the scene is lit by a kind of bare red light bulb in the windowsill and um, the closer that Jesse's character gets to the to the window the more she's feeling like she has to stay where she is and the further away from it she gets the more she feels torn that maybe she should be leaving and then so you play with that in the blocking so you work out where in the scene those moments are and you give them a reason to move around the room and so you spend a lot of time with the script with no just me and the two actors in the room talking that through and working out where the blocking should be and then um if you're lucky it works you know and 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 i think it worked pretty well it definitely but the funny thing is that that short film came out i'm super proud of it i'm really pleased with it but it came out around the same time that um uh north korea was about to launch everyone to nuclear armageddon and and Mm -hmm. a bunch of other quite dark things were happening and i think um we didn't get the festival run. I felt we kind of deserved a bit because I think it was a bit dark. <laughs> I think it was a bit much for a lot of people. It's sometimes um, the timing is yeah. so important, isn't yeah. it? And you never know. You can't, you can't say I'm not going to make this because timing might change in six yeah. months. You you've got just to got, it, to, you've got to get on with it. That's kind of, you ought to be true to yourself in all the yeah. decisions you make. Really. Yeah. You don't want to, that's the, one of the things that's happened to me in the past with casting is that you like, 
through circumstance you go out to someone and you're like oh god i'm not really sure they're the right person for the mm. job and then so, oh you feel a bit like oh god are they right it's like you've got to go with your gut all the time you know if, if, they, if you don't th if you don't think they're right they might get you the money or whatever it is but if you don't think they're right then you, you shouldn't go to them you know i love that advice um well let's talk about kindred then this is literally where the, the are uh, we cross the streams in a ghostbuster <laughs> sense so um we finished red light and yeah. um dom was like right okay well let's make a feature you know yeah. how what are we going to do so yeah. the whole time since graduating film school i've been writing and by that point i had written probably about eight scripts or nine scripts of wow. which seven were completely useless or just not very good you know but that's good thing i think that's good you gotta get it out you gotta yeah. get it out get rid of get the shit that yeah, so yeah, that yeah. there's some good stuff and you know that it's crap that's good yeah. it's a good so, place to be um but i'd had two that i thought were actually pretty good and i think they are actually pretty good so i had those two scripts but neither of them were right as a first time thing die young was too violent and um hasn't got the kind of appeal you can't you couldn't cast anyone big enough in it to get the money particularly as a first-time director we could have done it as like a no budget like 100 grand feature but mm -hmm. dom wasn't particularly interested in that um and so right. i went through my folder of 20 or 30 kind of other little kind of ideas and log lines and this that, and the other and then this one jumped out to us um about a woman whose partner dies and his family take her in and she's pregnant and they basically want her to have the baby at home uh, with them because they're worried she's going to run off. And mm. I had that as a log line and I'd had it for about 10 years and didn't really know what to do with it because it sounded a bit kind of fritzily, sounded a bit dark, you know, and then <laughs> I think having had a kid, um, suddenly that old idea suddenly had kind of new life put into it. And I was like, Oh mm. no, I could make this more of a kind of suspense film than a horror film and make it more about the kind of, um, the mental kind of difficulties of, of parenthood and, and put all of that into it, you know? Yeah. And Don was into it. Um, nice. And so I started writing it and then immediately kind of hit a brick wall and was like, oh man, this is actually not going as easy as I thought it would. And I right. was kind of had a bit of a kind of ticking clock because I knew Don wanted something. And so I gave Jason a ring and he'd written something a, a few years before that I'd read, which is all set in one house with a daughter and a, and a, a dad in, in a house. Mm. And, I th and I was really impressed by how he'd managed to set the whole kind of 45 page script whatever it was in one location so he jumped on board and was really up for it and we'd always been collaborating on bits and pieces but um mm -hmm. he um he helped me out and we basically it was a true collaboration basically we we much like my kind of uh, my board behind me that may have mm -hmm. even have been an action back then i think nice. it's kind of like you know uh you get scenes on on bits of card and you stick them up and you work it which ones work and which ones don't and then you kind of write them out to an outline and then like I said earlier, he had babies in the hospital and we turned the outline into a script. And I think it probably took about um, seven or eight months to get from a sentence to a script. Mm -hmm. And then Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was not too bad. We, when we both had other work on, do you know what I mean? It, of it course, wasn't a yeah. It was a full-time yeah. endeavour. No, and then um, we... Um, then, I mean, then it was a bit of a wait because you try and get actors involved. And we sent it to Jack Loudon and then he was into it. And he wanted to board as a producer. 
And you're like, okay, that's amazing. Yeah. To get someone like him to come yeah. on board as producer, when, you know, Jack Loudon's, you know, the next big thing in my eyes. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's been brilliant yeah. in everything he's in. He's comelic, yeah. if you like. He's never he's the also, same He's person. also really disturbingly nice. <laughs> is he really? Really? Yeah, he's really I cool. I love that too. Yeah, he's, really, he's super cool. He's really cool. So, yeah. um, so to have him so, on as producer, now you've got Dominic yeah. Norris pushing to get a yeah. film made. We're in a great place. Yeah. And then you're like, right, okay, uh, casting wise and actually something interesting happened is that when Alice the, Alice Searby the casting director came on we were mm-hmm. talking to her she's like look I think that um, there's a potential here to get someone really interesting in for the Margaret role but I don't think there's enough in the script for them and I was like right okay she's like do you think you can give them a little bit more mm. I don't know like, like beef the part up slightly and the whole time I basically had this kind of monologue in my head for, oh, for yes. her to do yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I know exactly what to do because I was kind of toying with doing it anyway. And that night I basically sat down with a kind of stiff drink and kind of wrote, <laughs> kind of kind of poured my heart out. And it's a lot of it's my own personal experience twisted mm-hmm. into kind of Margaret's words. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But to this day, the, I wrote this monologue for her that's a kind of three and a half minute kind of uninterrupted shot oh, in the film. It's full on. That it's, it's full on. That, it's is, um, that I can't really watch with anyone else in the room because it makes me feel a bit queasy basically it's a bit too close to the bone so um i i wrote that into it and she was like perfect uh what do you think about fiona shaw and i'm like like come on like well yeah like really like do you think she'd do it she's like well you can all you can do is ask you know that's the thing with these things all you can do is ask so we sent it to fiona's people i guess and they're like oh do you want to meet for a coffee i'm like well yeah so and at I'm this left. point, sorry to, to yeah. say, it's a great and loving where you're going, but at this point, did you have any money? Did you have anything in no, place? No, no, we, we got, no, at least I didn't. I mean, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We may have got some seed money for Dom to kind of help him pay the bills while he was making phone calls and stuff. But like, sure. um, but nothing, there wasn't nothing, like, we've got no. a mill from this person or we've got not a, yet, no. a letter of intent from, you know, no, Sky. Not yet. Nothing, not, nothing, I nothing. mean, I guess actually by the time we went to Fiona, we probably had some money promised by someone. I am... Uh, blessedly, bless, blessedly naive to the financial wranglings of this stuff because right. I find that it makes me feel sick. <laughs> it's too <laughs> stressful. Um, I am much more kind of a head in the sand. You know, I've got my horse blinkers on basically, and I'm just like, Look, I'll do all the creative stuff and yeah. do this. Yeah, just tell just me how much that, I've got and where yeah, I need to be. All this I'll other stuff. Yeah, okay. I like to find it really hard, hard mm. going. Um, and Dom's really good at that stuff and he knows everyone and, and um, yeah it's great know. and I've, I've, I've really had to learn this stuff you know I've produced a good couple of movies now I'm about to produce mm. another one and I've learned all this I've learned about you know EIS I've learned about shares in companies and really got to grips with it mm. I don't want to do that yeah. I want to be creative like you're talking about mm. but I've had to do that just to get things keep moving because mm. um, otherwise everyone else is waiting for someone else to do it. So I thought, but well, equally, I'll just get on with it. But what did happen to us is that just before we started shooting, one of our um, main financiers was like, oh, you know what? We're not actually going to finance films that are less than five million anymore. <laughs> and took, basically took, took the promise away. And then we wow. were kind of left adrift for a couple of days until Dom came to the rescue and, and got someone else involved. So okay. it kind of, there was a moment like we'd just done the read through and Dom phoned oh, me and was just like, gosh. you know, I know we're supposed to be shooting next week, but there's a, oh chance, my gosh, this is a, there's a chance it's not going to happen. And he's just like, oh God, <laughs> really? He's like, yeah, I've got, I'm on the case, but you know, 
um, and that has kind of like fairly nuts ramifications down the line. Really but basically, um, uh, where was I? So we went to Fiona Shaw, yeah. met for a coffee, and then she's just the nicest person like ever. She's the nicest person since Jesse Buckley. <laughs> Do you know what really? I mean? Oh, yeah, man, they're I super cool. That. And I think if they're into the script... Mm. They, like I say, they want to make sure you're just you're just a stand-up guy who's not going to mess them around, you know. Mm-hmm. So I um uh, had my cup of tea with Fiona Shaw, and then she wanted to talk about the scripts a couple of weeks later. So I went and met her in her agent's office, had another chat with her there, and then she invited me around her house for tea. So I went around her house for tea. How nice! Like, what do you do? And it turned out she lived right, right around the corner. From what where do I you do? <laughs> I was just like, you know, what do you what do you turn up to Fiona Shaw's house? I took some biscuits because I'm like. I, I don't know that. if she drinks. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if she, like, what do you do? She you said don't tea. want to take just in case, drink just yeah. in case. Yeah, yeah. biscuits. So it's just idea. like, I take biscuits. So I took biscuits. Um, they never Wait. got opened, I don't think. But she, I think, yeah, she, she appreciated the, uh, <laughs> the gesture. Appreciated well, the thank gesture. you for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very kind of you, but we'll be yeah. having something I've already prepared, dear. <laughs> yeah. But um, but she, what she does, she's really fastidious. She makes so many notes and she's just always asking questions. And like, like I say, a lot of thinking goes into it the stuff I write so like a mm. lot of her character Margaret is like based on family members I've I've had like my grandmother and kind of experiences I've had talking to other people and all kinds of things mm. and she's got a little notebook and she's asking me questions like oh there's this scene here like what's what's going on with Margaret uh you know what why is she I don't know giving that monologue for example she'll talk to me about the monologue and I'll be like oh yeah. right okay well the, the idea is I actually wrote that because I've just been going through some shit, having become a parent for the second time, and like mm, it's freaking mm. me out. And like I've, had, I've started going to therapy, and it's all a bit nuts. Yeah. And she fucking laps it up. She loves it. She's like, okay, amazing. I can see where you're coming from. And now that for her, that opens up the way she approaches the character, and she understands. Yeah. You know, it makes life more interesting for her in a funny kind of way. She knows that I'm just yeah. not bullshitting her or making it up. You know, like. There's Which is some... very important, I think, with actors. Mm. You can't make it. You sometimes you have to make it up on the spot. Mm. You go. You need to make a decision, but yeah. you have to know what you're talking about. They have to trust you. They there has to be meat on the bones because if there's no meat be, on the bones, you get found out too yeah, quickly. You do. Yeah, far too quickly. It's me, Giles. Obviously, uh, jumping in here to tell you officially, this is a two-parter. Myself and Joe had such a great chat. I didn't want to cut it down. Tobias is away at the moment, and I only recorded this today. It's going out for you in a few hours. So, because of that, I haven't got time to fully dive in and cut stuff out. And actually, listening through, I didn't want to. There was so much gold in there for you to take away and learn from. I felt you needed to talk. So this is a two-parter, so join us on Friday when myself and Joe go deeper into the casting process, what it's like directing actors, how when a film is released it can be traumatic, and how it felt to get picked up and released on Sky Movies. We also talk about getting a manager and an agent in the UK, and he gives you, amazing, wonderful filmmakers out there, some brilliant advice. So come join us again on Friday for part two of my chat with Joe, Mark, Antonio. Until then, go watch Kindred on Sky and then do something this week to get your film made. Do it. Be inspired now and go get your film made. Do something, the tiniest little thing. Even if it's finishing that page of dialogue, even if it's reaching out to a producer, even if it's reaching out to an actor, or doing it yourself, do it this week. Be inspired. Get it done. And I will see you 
on Friday.